Welcome, Redemption Arcadia. It's good to see you guys this morning. You can come in and find your seat. We are so happy that we're gathering in person together. So if you're here in person, thank you for wearing your mask while you're on our campus. We really appreciate it. And if you're on our live stream, welcome. We're so glad that we get to do this all together. Um, so let's stand as we begin our time in worship this morning and sing together. What a week it's been, so I'm glad to be gathering together in person. Come thou fountain. Come thou fountain of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me songs. Precious blood. 
sin defeated, death is conquered. Praise the Lord, the victory's won. As we sing this next one, um, I've been convicted this week just with everything going on and We've been saying that, I feel like, for a year, because we basically have been saying that for a year, but um, with everything going on and just feeling like I'm really not in control, which, newsflash, I'm not, um, but that's definitely something I've been learning, and this next song, the chorus, um, says, hallelujah, you have saved me so much better your way, hallelujah, great defender, so much better this way. Um, and when I sing those words, I can't help but be convicted of all the times that I try to rewrite the story that the author has already written perfectly. Um, all the times I try to take control um, when I just can't and when it is so much better his way. And so as believers, that's what we're called to confess. That's what we're called to believe. Um, and so as we sing this this morning, um, my prayer is that that truly is our heart's cry, that that truly is um, what we believe, that it is so much better God's way, the way that he's written the story, and we trust that he's in control, and we declare that today when we sing this, and so let's sing this song together. You go You go before I know that you've even gone to win my war. Your love becomes my greatest defense. It leads me from the dry wilderness. And all I did was pray. All I did was worship, and all I did was bow down, oh, and all I did was stay still. We sing this out, hallelujah.
is so much better your way, that we can trust that, that we can live in that. Um, God, I ask that that would be our heart's conviction today, um, that your way is better than ours. Um, you say in your word, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. Help us not to look for that anywhere else, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. I'm Steve Wheeler, one of your elders, and this is not the second act of the Battle of the Bands up here. I have with me to my right, Nick Oviedo and his wife, Elizabeth, and to my left, Joe Ponce and his wife, Chelsea. Uh, we are here because if you'll remember last Sunday, Frank announced that the elders, uh, Frank, 
Jim Moreland and myself had been going through a rather robust eight-month process uh, to come up with two elder candidates. Uh, we've been through that process, uh, but Frank said uh, we would uh, do an elder reveal today, not last week, in anticipation of this coming Wednesday when Frank will be doing an in-depth interview with both of these gentlemen. Uh, so today, just to whet your appetite for that event, which I hope you will attend either in person or online, we've got them both up here. Our process to date has, has been, as I said, robust. We've had written submissions from these gentlemen. Uh, we've had interviews. We've had conversations with their spouses. Uh, we've done background checks, uh, reference checks, and the like. And it's still ongoing. What we're going to do next is DNA sampling. Uh, <laughs> We're, we're thinking about having maybe a bare light bulb interrogation in a dank basement room. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to make sure there's no deep state connections between these gentlemen and Russia, Ukraine, or China. So it, it will be very detailed. Uh, but what we wanted to do today is just let you hear from each of them uh, for just a moment uh, before we move on to the, the more in-depth interviews. Nick, as you may or may not know, is a fifth-generation Arizonan. Uh, in his youth, he was a celebrated golfer at the Prescott High School. Uh, he is now a, an elementary school principal uh, who is affectionately known as Mr. O. Uh, Joe, on the other hand, is an accomplished financial advisor, and if you are to believe the legends, uh, at the age of two, he recommended that his parents purchase Apple stock. Uh, so very well accomplished, well regarded. Uh, so the question I have for them, uh, just to sort of give you a sense of them, uh, and I've asked each of them to address uh, uh, you and uh, let you know a little bit about themselves, their family, what they do, how long they've been at redemption, and the nature of their engagement here, and anything else uh, that they think we would like to know, but they don't want to tell us. So you want to go first, Joe. Good morning. Uh, as Steve said, I'm Joe Ponce. This is my wife, Chelsea. Uh, we've been attending Redemption Church faithfully for a little over nine years and served in a variety of capacities. Um, I should have thought in between services to fact check you, but I don't think Apple was public when I was two. So well, I, was just <laughs> I was just testing you. Um, so we've served in a variety of capacities. Um, we're, we're, uh, have two children, Willa and Ezra, who are in children's ministry right now. Thank you, children's ministry. Um, and we're honored and, and um, blessed and uh, convicted by this call and, and ask for your prayers as it's more about the congregation than it is about us. And how have you been engaged in the church? You do a number of different things. Just highlight one or two for the crowd. Yeah, children's ministry, communion when we had it before COVID. Um, Chelsea's done quite a bit in children's ministry. We teach Bible studies, host RC. Um, I don't alongside know. ministry. Alongside ministries, And yeah. you're a renowned cook. Some say. Yes. <laughs> Great. No one here today, but so. Nick, how about you? Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, Steve said, my name is Nick Oviedo. This is my wife, Elizabeth. We've been going here for about five and a half years. Um, we were actually baptized in this church at Thomas. There's a longer story to that that I'll say for Wednesday. Um, I work as a principal elementary school principal, technically junior high too. It's a K-8 school in Roosevelt School District. If you know where the Croc Center Salvation Army is in South Phoenix, that's my neighborhood. And um, we've done a variety of things here. I've, uh, we've done kids ministry, greeters, 
um, reader, and we host and lead an RC and have done so for about four years. And um, we have two children, Michael, uh, he just turned four, and Matthew is going to be two soon. Great, thank you. And uh, as I say, this is real short because we want you to be intrigued enough and interested enough to tune in to the Wednesday interviews. This is a big deal for the church. As you know, God expects his people to be led by elders, elders who are gifted and capable of teaching, of preaching, of praying, of discipling, and otherwise ministering and serving to those for which they are responsible. He calls those elders to be people of high moral character beyond reproach, and he holds them accountable for what they do. So this is very important to all of us, and I hope you will stay engaged in the process. So with that, thank you very much, and Tyler's going to come up for the privilege of enjoying baby dedications. Hello. There we are. Hi. Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, so we are going to do child dedications today, which is where we take some time to rejoice in God's cosmic gift of new life in the church. And it's a really sweet thing. It's a really great thing. Um, it's not a replacement for infant baptism. It's not like, oh, we don't do that, but we'll do child dedications. That, that's not the idea here. The idea is, it's a chance for the parents to come up and express before you all their intentions in raising their children up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. It's something we see patterned in scripture as well. We can see in 1 Samuel 1, this practice where Hannah brings Samuel into the temple and presents him before the community. We also see that with Mary and Joseph. They do the same thing with Jesus. And that's kind of the idea that we're doing here. So why don't you guys come on up. And one on this side, one on that. And I got a microphone right there for, for you guys as well. Let's welcome them up. <laughs> Thank you guys for being here. So the Bible has a lot to say to parents. It has a lot to say about its view of children. One, we know that Jesus loved and valued kids. That one's easy, right? Our culture does that too. But think about in that culture and in that time, how countercultural it was to say kids are valuable. That we, even as adults, should be like them. Think about that. That was a pretty big deal. The Bible also has a lot to say to parents in how they parent and teach in the home. Another word for that is discipleship. And the way that the Bible instructs us to do that in Deuteronomy is to love God with everything we have and then instruct and teach our kids in every opportunity that we have. So it's a high call. It's a big deal. And that's why we're here today. So, Tim, you want to grab that mic there? The pink one? Yep. And why don't you introduce yourself and your family for us? So, hi. Good morning. My name is uh, Tim Buchanan. This is my wife, Adia, and our daughter, Christina. Um, as you can tell, she's not quite a baby. Uh, Christina has been with us. We started fostering her about two and a half years ago. We adopted her this past May. Yay. And, um, we've been here in attendance at Redemption for about that entire time, and we decided we wanted to take a moment to just kind of officially uh, welcome Christina into the faith that we've been trying to raise her with and, and display for her and, and teach her and disciple her along Love that it. way. Yeah, that's sweet. Thank you. 
All right, let's pass the mic over here. Thank you. Morning, church. My name is Teller Bard. This is my wife, Laura, and our son, Ellis, who celebrated his first birthday yesterday. Um, we've been at Redemption Church for about six years, the last three at Redemption Arcadia, the first three at Tempe, um, and we're just really privileged by the opportunity to do this in this church with this congregation and with the leadership here. Um, so yeah, we're really excited about That's today. A sweet thing. When did he get so tall? What happened? He's been tall, and he's and has not slowed down at all. <laughs> Laura, he's going to pass you soon. Watch out. <laughs> all right, so let me start by just encouraging you both. And here, I can take that mic from you. Let me start by just encouraging you both that your families didn't begin when your child came into the picture. It began the day you two said, I do. That's the day where your family began. Now, what's cool about that view, hi, staring at my mustache, maybe. Uh, yeah, what that does is it gives you a right view of the family and where the value and where the importance really is. It's the priority is your relationship with God. After that is your relationship one another, husband and wife. And you're bringing your child into that healthy dynamic. So what I'm going to do is say a couple of statements. And then at the end, if it's your intention, you'll respond by saying, we will. Okay? Ellis, you got that? I think he's got it. That was a long way of saying yes. All right, so parents, in bringing these children into God's house today, you are consecrating yourselves to God trusting in him and doing everything you can to encourage them to become a true disciple of Christ while you pursue the same thing. So first, will you, by God's help, bring them up in the regular worship and teaching of the church that they might come to love the church and so come to love the bride of Christ and trust him as their savior and follow him as their Lord? If so, answer, we will. Will you, by God's help, Work to provide a home with the gospel on full display for them. Now, the important thing here is you don't have to pretend like everything's okay all the time. It's okay for them to see your brokenness and your need for God. If so, answer, we will. Lastly, will you model repentance and faith to them? And because you can't save them or change them, pray for them. Pray with them. Serve with them, serve others, and strive as individuals to be an example of a redeemed life in Christ. If so, answer, we will. Now, church, before God and before one another, will you, members of Redemption Arcadia, strive to be faithful Christians, to live all of life, all for Jesus, these things we talk about, so that the Spirit of God may bear fruit in your lives that these kids can see and they can see how amazing it is to follow Christ. If so, answer, we will. So we're going to do that right now by modeling prayer for them. Would you extend your hand forward and let's pray over these families. God, we pray first that you would bless these families. That their home would be blessed. Um, that you'd continue to bless the relationships that they're building in discipling their kids. And God, we pray that now and moving forward, the center of their marriage would remain you, Jesus, because it's the foundation that will never change. It's the one thing that won't change in their lives. So, God, we pray that their foundation would remain firm and fixed on you. And, God, we pray for these kids, for Ellis, Christina, one day, God, that you would call them to faith in you and that they would never look back. God, that you would save these kids by the power of your name. And lastly, for us, church, help us to be faithful, Jesus. Help us to be faithful to you in our study of your word, those small little moments in the morning that mean 
so much for our discipleship to you, God, that these kids might see your power, Jesus, displayed in our lives. And that would be an attractive thing for them, for your glory, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's thank them for coming up. Thank you, guys. And would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Good morning. The reading for today is from John chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning, Arcadia. We have a great passage today. Uh, but I would rather actually spend most of our time talking about Tyler James's new mustache. <laughs> uh, Pastor Frank is away. Uh, he, is, he is officiating a wedding uh, from a couple that's here from Arcadia, and so he's out of town this weekend. And so I was invited to preach today. Uh, my name is Tyler Thompson, and most of the time I spend my time uh, with worship or uh, leading and um, developing worship leaders. Uh, but I'm also uh, working with our small groups, so our redemption communities, and uh, developing uh, our groups and our leaders in that as well. Uh, which, by the way, if you are not in a redemption community and you'd like to be, uh, let me know. I'd love to help get you set up with a group uh, so that you can be a part of that small group fellowship. Um, and I'm also looking to spend some time uh, developing and training some new uh, redemption community leaders. So if you're interested in that as well, I would love to uh, begin to spend some time with you as well on that. Uh, but we are in chapter 5 of John today. Um, a few encouraging signs for the church. One is just that we have new elders uh, that we are in the process with. And I'm excited about that. Excited uh, for a church that is developing new leadership from within. That's a good sign for a church. I'm also excited about um, our young families and new babies and, and children being dedicated to the faith. Uh, that's also a good sign for a growing church. And so I'm excited and encouraged by those things. Uh, lastly, I'm encouraged that you all are here. Uh, it's, if, if we're honest with ourselves, it's been a year, and it's been uh, a month, and it's been a week. And uh, many of you are coming from a variety of different places today. Some of you have had hard weeks. Um, some of you have had um, good weeks. And regardless of where you've come from, it's a good day for us to be studying the Word of God. Amen? And so my hope is that the Lord would speak to us by his word through the power of his spirit today and encourage us as we look at John chapter 5. So you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5 if you have them. And we'll start in verse 1. It's a good place to start. John 5 verse 1. 
As we look at this text today, uh, we, we know that we can put our hope and our help in a lot of different things. We all have sort of our chosen methods of things that we like to put our, our hope in, uh, that we like to look for help with. Uh, but as we sang just a little bit ago, uh, Jesus' way is better. It's so much better his way uh, rather than each of our own way. And so as we look at this passage today, let's see how God is our help and our hope and an ever-present help in time of trouble. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, I want to pause for just a moment here to take a moment to look at what this verse is saying. Sometimes we can have the tendency to go straight past a verse like this and get to sort of what we think to be the good stuff. But there's a lot happening even in just this first verse of John chapter 5. After this, which means uh, after the events that we see in John chapter 4, so that's the Samaritan woman and the healing of the child, after these things then there was more that happened. There were more things that happened. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Note that this after this might not just be a few days. In fact, most scholars put it at being more like a few months later or even almost a year later than what we're seeing in John chapter 4. So there's a lot of time that has passed here. Further, to go to a feast up to Jerusalem, it would take quite a bit of time for them to travel to Jerusalem. And uh, I want you to know that up doesn't mean that we're going north. We tend to think of up being north, uh, but rather up is going up in elevation. Jerusalem was a city on a hill. And so Jesus and his disciples are traveling to a city on a hill, to Jerusalem. And as they're going, it's going to take them probably uh, several days to get there as they're walking. And as they're walking, they're singing and speaking and praying psalms together. How do we know this? We know this because there are things called psalm of ascents or psalms of ascents, songs of ascents, psalms that the people of Israel would sing and pray and speak as they're traveling going up to Jerusalem for these feasts. They would do this every year. So these feasts, look in Deuteronomy 16, 16. I'll just point this out to you. Uh, it's first noted in Exodus, but in Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says, There are three times a year, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. So there are three feasts that we could look at this being, and John doesn't um, actually tell us which feast it was. Many scholars think that it would be Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, but Jesus and his disciples are traveling up to Jerusalem, and as they go, they're singing these psalms, or speaking these psalms, or praying these psalms. The Psalms of Ascent are grouped together for us in our Bible from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And I'd encourage you, they're pretty short. If you are going to be traveling anywhere coming up, or if you have any time together to actually sing or pray through these psalms, or read through these psalms, uh, they're short and sweet. Uh, looking to Jesus, uh, looking to God as our help, uh, even in times of travel, of uncertainty, of difficulty, no matter what our circumstance might be, that God is our ever-present help. I wanted to just to look real quick, uh, real briefly, at Psalm 121. This is one of the psalms that probably would have been going through their minds as they're going. And Jesus, being the very word of God, would have, of course, knew these psalms very, knew these psalms very well. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes 
to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your helper, your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. These would have been the words on their mind as they went to Jerusalem, which I think is so helpful for our context, because we see in this passage a man who was desperately in need of God's help. And on the way up to Jerusalem, the disciples are praying this kind of a psalm, indicating that Jesus, that God himself is our help, and Jesus is going to claim to be the one who is our help in this passage. Verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, In Aramaic, called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. A couple of things just to note here. First is that there's this event, this scene that is happening is near what's called the Sheep Gate. And the Sheep Gate is important because that's where the shepherds bring the sheep in and out from having gone to pasture or coming into pasture. So the sheep gate was a place that the sheep used to come to and fro. I think that's interesting that this scene is happening near the sheep gate because later in John, in John chapter 10, Jesus will say, I am the gate. Jesus will claim to be the one that is the good shepherd. Jesus will be the one who is claiming to say, I am the one where you will enter and you will be saved and you will go in and out and find pasture. So that context will also be in people's mind as we're looking at this interaction with Jesus. A second thing is that they are by a pool. And and my mind goes to what we've already seen in John chapter 4, which is that there is a water that, that God can give that will help us to never thirst again. The water here is also a reminder of what John's been getting at this whole time so far, which is that Jesus is the Son of God. And I keep hearing Pastor Frank say this. I feel like John is just saying Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Of course, that is John's aim, that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda. Bethesda was a house of mercy or a house of grace, a place that people could come to to find mercy and grace, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids. Now, At our preaching collective, we actually paused for a moment with this word because that word is uncomfortable. It's a word that we actually wouldn't probably spend a lot of time using these days because it's offensive. For somebody to be called an invalid is an offensive thing. As we pressed into that a little bit further, we saw that Jesus was doing something particularly here with the invalid, and that is that he was validating the invalid. What the world saw as something that was invalid Jesus was validating. And that's good news for us because just like Pastor Frank said, we are the Samaritan woman, I'd like for us to consider that we here are the invalid, the one that needs help from the Lord. And the good news is that Jesus sees the helpless, as we'll see in this passage with the man by the pool. So there were those that were gathered here, blind, lame, and paralyzed, 
and they're all looking for some kind of help. Now, what kind of help? How many of you, as you look in your Bibles, now have verse 4 after verse 3? Anybody? A couple of you. How many of you have verse 5 after verse 3? Yeah. Now, I'm no mathematician. I am a pastor. But I know a little bit about math. I'm not sure that 5 comes after 3. It's just me. I was fascinated by this as I was talking with Pastor Trey and some other pastors this week about this passage. Why do some of our translations have verse 4 and some of them just go straight to verse 5? Well, I want to present to you for a moment what was going on in verse 4, and then I'll share with you a little bit about why it's not there anymore. So in verse 4, some manuscripts insert, wholly or in part, waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Now, if this verse is in some translations and not in others, it seems pretty important, right? That people are gathered at this pool because they believe there's a chance that they're going to be healed. There's a chance that they're going to be helped. Now, it turns out that many of our most reliable scholar, uh, scholars and our most reliable transcripts of these passages, the earliest and the most reliable transcripts, don't include this verse. And it turns out that along the way, somebody that was transferring the scripts, uh, the transcript, transcripting this passage, would write in the margins notes on what was happening in the passage. And it turns out that most scholars believe that verse 4 was a note that was in the margin and not the original scripture itself. There are some who disagree with that, but most scholars believe that that, according to our most original and most um, reliable manuscripts, that this verse is not there. So that's why it's out of some of your Bibles. Mystery solved, right? But I still want to draw your attention to what's happening here. John does not include it because he wants to point to Jesus as the healer. John wants to point to Jesus as the one who is the healer, not this pool or the water that itself that is the healer. You get what I'm saying? And so John doesn't include that, that point. But it is important to know that many people thought that this pool was going to heal them. And, they, and it may have. I'm not saying resolutely whether it did or not. Many people seem to think that it had, it had healed them. But if you can, take a look at this in your mind, what this scene might have looked like. A pool that was available for healing, and a lot of people gathered around it. Verse 4 says that the first one who got down to the pool was healed. That means there's one person that's happy and a bunch of people that are not. Right? One person that has been healed by this pool and a ton of people who missed out on it. Well, this man is one of those people who missed out on it. Now, maybe you've been in that kind of a situation yourself where you feel like this pain is so bad, I'll try anything to get out of it. Anybody? A few of you? Maybe you've been in a position where you felt so helpless that you'll try whatever you can just to make it stop. I know that there was a time in my life where I used to have consistent headaches. And they've gone away now, which I'm thankful for. Many of you deal with headaches. And I thought to myself, I will try anything that somebody wants to have me try to get rid of this pain. 
to get rid of this headache, just to make it stop. Well, I think the people that were around this pool were in that kind of a situation where they will try anything just to move past what they are being afflicted with. Now, it's important for us to understand that each one of us, whether you can identify with a place of being helpless or not, each one of us is that person by the pool waiting to be healed by Jesus. Amen? Each one of us is broken enough to where we need his Savior, his saving in our lives. And it's only a little bit of breaking that causes us to be in that state. But we've all gone through much breaking. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray and are in need of the sheep gate itself. So this man is sitting here waiting for healing, and many are around him looking to different methods and superstitions for those healings as well. I just want to point out to you as well that we do this today. It didn't just happen then, but many of us look to a particular cause to save us. Many of us look to a particular politician to save us. Many of us look to a particular pastor to save us. Many of us look to a specific celebrity. Oftentimes we're looking towards ways of being helped. And as we sang earlier, Christ's way is just better. It's not that he can't use these things to help us. It's just that Christ's way is better. And this man is surely to find this out. So verse 5, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. Can you imagine waiting, and maybe some of you have, for 38 years for something? Most of us get a little bit upset when our fast food takes longer than we expect it to. Most of us look at our phone and say, my computer, my phone is just taking forever. Because we live in an instant gratification kind of society. This man has been waiting 38 years to be healed in a place where he believed that that was possible for him. And I want to point out to you that what makes this man special is not that he was the fastest guy in the crowd. It was not that he had the best eyesight for when the, the water was stirred. It was not as though he had the best position to get down there first, but it was that God chose him. And such is the way with Jesus. Our healing from Jesus doesn't come from our own strengths, but rather from his compassion on us. Amen? I'm certainly glad to hear that. I'm not the fastest, I'm not the strongest, I'm not the smartest, but I'm a man broken in need of a savior and I'm thankful for his compassion for me. So this man was sitting there and he had been waiting for 38 years. It's good news because all, all of us are broken in a way that needs this savior. Verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he called to him. He said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, I love this question and this verse for a few different reasons. One is that Jesus already knew this man. He already knew this man. He already knew that this man had been there for 38 years. Well before this man ever is healed by Jesus, Jesus knew who this man was. And so it is with us as well. John Piper puts it this way, Jesus knows you, has compassion on you, and is sovereign over your body and your soul. That too is good news. That Jesus sees us in the state that we're in, knows who we are, knows our need, and meets our need. I'm so thankful for that as well. 
So Jesus finds him and says, do you want to be healed? Now this question is also fascinating for me. And I think there are a couple of things going on here. One is that I think that Jesus did not come to rule by force and force his healing on someone. But a second thing that's happening is this, is that Jesus knows that there are those who just don't want to be healed. Have you ever experienced that? Have you known somebody who just didn't want to get better? And before you start pointing your finger at somebody else, have you ever been in that place where I just don't want to get better? And the reason is, is that that might require something of me. I might actually have a new responsibility. There are those out there who would say, I'll try anything, but I won't try that. I won't try Jesus. I'll try anything, but I won't try him. Maybe you've been around somebody like that. Maybe that's been you. I'll try anything, but I won't try Jesus. The Bible is clear on this as well. In Matthew 12 and Mark 2 and Luke 6, Jesus says, How I have longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come. What compassion God has on us, that he longs to gather us, and still there are those who would not come. Jesus knows this, and of course he knows the answer to his own question, do you want to be healed? He knows this man wants to be healed. He's chosen him, he knows his need, and he meets his need. So verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Maybe you felt that way before as well. I'd like to be healed, but this other person keeps on beating me to the punch. I'd enjoy God moving in my life in this way, but he keeps doing it for that other person. Is it just me? I know this can lead to frustration in life. Whether it's something like headaches or whether it's something completely more difficult. That sometimes we are just out of options. This man might as well have said, Sir, I have no one. Not just to put me in, but I have no one. I have nothing. He was exemplifying a man who is out of options. You ever felt like that? Sometime we can talk about it over a coffee or something when God led me to that point in my life. A believer in Christ comes to a point where there's a recognition that there's not any other chance of being saved except for by Jesus. And we praise God for that. So this man says, sir, I have no one. Tom Schrader used to say it this way, you never know God is all you need until he is all you have. And maybe he got it from Corey Timboom. But the Lord lets us get to a place where we see that Jesus is all we have. And praise God for that. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. Now, I love this. And some of our friends in the first service would say, get up and live. I want you to notice that when Jesus speaks, his words create reality. We know from Scripture that through Jesus, everything was made that has been made. 
And just as God said at the very beginning, let there be light, and there was light. Here, Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and walk, and the man does it. I can rest assured in knowing that Jesus' words dictate reality. I'm thankful for that. And that as soon as Jesus has said something, it comes to pass. This man was commanded, get up, take your bed, and walk. And there's actions here for the man. Believe. Act. Go forward. Some of us have a hard time just getting out of bed in the morning. After one night of sleep, let alone 38 years of waiting to get up and walk. But Jesus says it and the man does it. Verse 9, at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Now I love that he took his bed up because that means that there was less of a chance of him laying back down again. And he was asked to go forward from there. Sometimes we might get up when the Lord leads us to get, go forward, but we've prepared a place behind us so that we might lay down again when we get uncomfortable. With Jesus, he has asked us to go forward. And this man was immediately healed. We must believe that God's word will not return void. We know that from scripture. That the words that go forth from God are never useless. They never return without fruit. And it's the same thing when we meet together on Sunday mornings. We must know that the words of God, by the power of his spirit, will not return void. Yes, God is omnipotent. Yes, God is timeless. Yes, God is everywhere and outside of time itself. But he reacts and he interacts with his people in time and place, at specific places and specific times. He did it with the man at the pool, and he does it with us when we meet together on Sunday mornings as his church. By the power of his spirit, he's here with us, and his words do not return void. Amen? Otherwise, we might, be, might as well just go to brunch. There's some great places to eat right around here. We might as well just watch football. The Cardinals are doing okay. <laughs> I knew that'd get an amen. But there's something special that happens when God meets with his, God meets with his people and his words go out. By the power of his spirit, they don't return void. It was the same then, and it's the same now. Now that day was the Sabbath. Verse 10, so the Jews said to him, to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. It's like Debbie Downer. <laughs> this man's been waiting to be healed for 38 years. And the religious leaders are like, you can't do that. <laughs> now, before we're too harsh on these leaders, note that sometimes that's us as well. Sometimes I've been waiting for healing in a certain way. And when I see my neighbor being healed, I'm saying, you can't do that. I've been waiting this whole time. Anybody resonate with that one? A few of you that are willing to admit it. The Lord oftentimes will do this kind of a miracle and we're stuck looking at our rules and our traditions and our hopes and our dreams and saying to God, you can't do it like that. 
Paul Artino, one of the other pastors at Redemption at our uh, preaching collective, he said, when we focus on the mat, we miss the miracle. And I think that that's true. I think it hits home that we oftentimes are a people who are so focused on our methods and our hopes and our dreams and our rules that we miss the miracle that God has. Now, Jesus addresses this in other places. He claims that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, he's saying, I'm the one who has given you Sabbath, so I think I understand how Sabbath is supposed to be treated. But the religious leaders have put all these kinds of additional requirements. We've put all these kind of additional traditions on top of what God led us to do with the Sabbath. Jesus knows this, and he knows how to act on the Sabbath. He's not breaking his own rules. Jesus has created what Sabbath is and intends to live in such a way that we enjoy real Sabbath. So Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath, and he also is one who indicates that he's not bound by our methods and by our rules and our institutions. We can't put Jesus in our box. Verse 12, they asked him, the religious leaders asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. I love this. This man has been healed after 38 years, and he still doesn't know who Jesus is. He still doesn't know. Why doesn't he know? He doesn't know because there was a crowd that was gathering, and Jesus snuck away. Do you know that Jesus actually does this over and over again in the New Testament as well? In the Gospel accounts, there's oftentimes where a a crowd will gather and then Jesus will sneak off by himself or with his disciples. And my mind thinks, well, didn't Jesus miss an opportunity here? Wouldn't we have wanted him to have healed everybody at the pool? He was able. Wouldn't we have wanted God to be a person who will heal every time, every place? Unfortunately, our thinking, when we think like that, is just putting another one of our boxes onto Jesus. And I think Jesus didn't do it this way for a few reasons. One is that Jesus is just not in it for the spectacle. He's not in it for the spotlight. He's not in it to be on the nightly news or to have as many Instagram followers as he can. This is is not what Jesus is in it for. There was never a time that actually he was trying to gather the crowd during his ministry. In fact, there were a few times where his teachings made crowds go away. A second thing is this, and we saw this in John chapter 2. I think it's that Jesus knows when his time is to heal, when his time is to come to the cross, when his time is to die and be buried and to rise again. In John chapter 2, he said, woman, my time has not yet come. In other words, he knew exactly when his ministry was to start. He knew exactly when he was to heal. The people he would come in contact with and the times that, and when he would go to the cross. Jesus knew that if a crowd amassed and saw him doing this, the time of his death would be imminent. I think a third thing here is this, is that he wants us to keep The main thing, the main thing. You tired of hearing that yet? I think the Lord wanted us to know that the physical healing was not actually the most important thing here. 
In fact, most of the time, God is going to use the physical to point us to the spiritual or the eternal. Jesus knew that this man needed to be healed of more than just his physical afflictions. But that he needed to be healed spiritually as well. And so Jesus chose this man as a way of showing his physical and his spiritual healing. A last thing on this is that it indicates that this man was chosen by Jesus. God picked this man to be healed. It's like we sang earlier in worship that Jesus sought me when a stranger. We sang, here I raise my Ebenezer. That word Ebenezer, by the way, means stone of help. It means a mountain that we've come to for help. Here by thy great pleasure I've come, by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. In other words, God chooses us when we're still strangers to him. God chooses us when we're still enemies of the cross. God chooses us when we're still sinners. Romans 5.8 says it, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 14, afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well. See no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now I love this for a few reasons. One is Not only did this man not find Jesus, but Jesus found this man twice. Once at the pool, and then he found him again at the temple. In other words, this man didn't have to look for Jesus. Jesus knew exactly where he was. So Jesus found him at the temple, and he said, see your well. That phrase, see your well, is not just a physical healing, but that's a physical and a spiritual healing. That Jesus has in mind here that he has made this man well, both physically and spiritually. And then he says, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. What I get from this is that there are some things in life that are indeed worse than physical affliction. Jesus knows this. It doesn't make it less hard to go through. It doesn't take away the suffering. But Jesus does know that there are harder things, worse things in life to go through than the physical suffering. He has in mind, of course, that there are worse things eternally, including separation from God. And a second thing that he has in mind there is, it's like 2 Peter says in 2 Peter 2, that we don't return to our vomit. In other words, once Christ has set us free, we don't return once again to be mastered by other things. And in 2 Peter 2, it says the last state has become worse for them than the first. By saying sin no more, Jesus has in mind that we're set apart for his holiness. We're sanctified for a new life. It's not just that he has saved us from something, but that he has saved us to something and a new hope and a new life and a new family. Amen? Jesus is not just against sin and death and the devil. He's for new life, new family, eternity with God. 
People from every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered as one family for all eternity. So Jesus found him a second time and sets him on a new path. Says, like we'll see in other places, go and sin no more. Verse 16, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. In other words, these events, even these events, started to trigger in the religious leaders an opposition to Jesus. There are times where Jesus has said in the scripture, I have come to divide. Yes, unity is a quality that God wants for his church, but there are times where the scripture points to Jesus' ability to divide. And this is one of those things that there's a sense where the people who responded to Jesus' life and his ministry were divided in their response to him. For some, it became obedience and praise. For others, it became opposition and seeking to kill. That was the reaction that people had to Jesus. It's difficult to be on the fence with a guy like Jesus. He doesn't give us that option. But instead, he sets us apart by his life, his death, and his resurrection for for our good and for his glory. So the Jews are starting to be upset with him at this point. Again, we have tended to do that ourselves, where we want our expectations met, our methods met, the, the hopes and the dreams that we have, our preferences, our institutions, the causes that we seek after, the politicians that we follow, the pastors that we pray for. Many of these things are very good things. But Jesus will not be put in a box by these things, and we understand that Jesus is better than all of these methods for us. And if our response is to hold on to our methods, like the religious leaders did, our posture won't be one of obedience and praise. So Jesus answered them, Now he's talking back to the religious leaders. And I love it when Jesus does this because you can't catch him in his words. You can't trip him up to say something that you'll catch him for later. Jesus says, my father is working until now and I am working. In other words, Jesus was equating himself with God. Even on the Sabbath, we know that God is still working for good. Though he rested on the seventh day of creation, we know that God is still managing and sustaining and controlling creation. And praise God for that. I can rest because I know that it's not on my shoulders, it's on God's. I can go to sleep at night because I know that there is a God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. I can rest in this Jesus because we know that he is also working, creating and sustaining life. Now, Jesus here is going to get pushed back from the religious leaders because he's, he is claiming to be equal with God. He is the one who is claiming to be I am. And though he hasn't started to say th- these things, he's going to in the next few chapters. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am that I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is going to start saying these things. He's already claiming it now, and people are already upset for it. Stay tuned for a sermon near you for those other I am's. 
They asked him, this man, to give testimony of who Jesus was. And now there was no mistaking it. The man knew that this was God. Like the psalm that we read at the beginning about God who will not let your foot be moved, will neither slumber nor sleep, the God who is your keeper and will keep shade at your right hand, who will keep you from evil, who will keep your life, who will keep your going in and your coming out, this Jesus was claiming to be that God. He may as well have been saying, I will not let your foot be moved. I neither slumber nor sleep. I will keep your life. I will keep you from evil. The Lord was claiming to be Jesus. And anybody who says otherwise about this Jesus, I hear people say, Jesus never claimed to be God. It's pretty clear what he was doing and that people wanted to kill him for it. This equality was not something that he needed to grasp or to convince people of, but it's it's who he was as the Lord. This is why the Jews were seeking more to kill him, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, and he was even calling God his own father, thus making himself equal with God. Remember the aim of this book with John is that we would believe that he is the son of God. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, a blindness had come over these people at the pool. There they were, and there was Christ who could heal them, but not a single one of them sought him. Their eyes were fixed on the water, expecting it to be troubled. They were so taken up with their own chosen way that the true way was neglected. Clearly, this was not a problem just for the people in John chapter 5 who sat by the pool. But for us as well, who have clung to our chosen methods, clung to our causes and our hopes with, our, with the people that we look to, many of us are sitting at the pool waiting for the water to be stirred when Jesus is standing with us saying, do you want to be healed? And I would want for you to ask yourself, And I know because I've asked myself this question, is there a method that I'm clinging to other than Christ? Is there a hope that I have that I've been waiting for by the pool? As you just asked, do you want to be healed? If you've not ever put your faith in Christ, today is a good day for that. Jesus asks you, do you want to be healed? He makes clear his way of salvation by his death and resurrection on the cross. And you can reach out to him even where you are to pray and ask him to be a part of that healing process for you. In fact, not just the healing, but the healer himself. You want Jesus in your life. And for there are those of us who have been healed, who have come to know Jesus, who return to our bed. Yes, Jesus, I know you saved me. I know you set me apart. I know that you've brought me to a new life. But I'm pretty comfortable laying down. I'm pretty comfortable with the ways that I used to live. I think the Lord also has a reminder for those of us who have been healed by the Lord, but have failed to take our mat up and walk forward. In a few minutes, we'll take communion together. What I'd like to ask before we do so is that we acknowledge that there are times that we've chosen other methods and put it in front of Christ. 
Psalm 27 says this, some may trust in horses and others in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our Lord. It was true then and it's true now. And especially for those of us who are Christians that have gone through what everybody is going through, may we boldly proclaim this Jesus who is indeed our King. You may have picked up a communion elements, the communion elements on your way in. It has the, the bread and the cup. If you've not done that, feel free to do so at this point. We'll take communion together and we'll, we'll ask the Lord to utilize these natural elements to point us to the spiritual behind it, which is that God came and he lived a perfect life he died on the cross, he rose again the third day, and he offers new life to those who believe. The, the bread off, uh, represents his body, the cup represents his blood that he shed for us, and we ask that if you are a believer that you take communion together now, that the Lord would use this time by his spirit to direct our attention towards him. Let me read Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 as we prepare for communion. Paul is going to say, have this mind among yourselves. In other words, he's saying that Christ had this mindset. May we also have this mindset. Have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would be glorified in your church. God, I pray even now, if there are those here who wish to be healed, that they would directly seek you out, God. You know us. You know our need. You meet our need. So God, I pray that we would reach out to you. Even those who have not yet put their faith in you, I pray that today would be that day. Lord, I also pray for those of us who have already taken up our mat and walked, Lord, we pray that we would sin no more, that we would be called into a new life set apart for you, that that would be done for our good and for your glory, Lord, that you would keep us from holding to the methods of the past, that you would keep us from holding on to our chosen expectations and our desires and our dreams, but giving these things up to you, Lord, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. God, we praise you that we're able to gather like this as, as your church. May you be glorified now through the communion and, Lord, through our response of obedience and worship to you. And pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There was a moment when the lights went out When death had claimed it's victory The king of love Had given up his life 
the darkest day in history There on the cross they made for sinners For every curse his blood atoned One final breath and it was finished But not the end we could have known for the earth began to shake And the veil was torn A sacrifice was made As the heavens
Amen. What a blessing to be able to worship together. Thank you for being here. A couple of things to let you know. Um, one is that there is an annual workday coming this Saturday from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. We would love for you to RSVP, to RSVP to that to let us know that you're coming so that we can split up the responsibilities. But certainly, if you don't RSVP, still come. Uh, I'm sure there'll be things for you to do. Um, and the next thing, just to let you know, is that our patio is open, and so we'd love for you to hang out um, and spend some time um, in fellowship, just meeting and greeting each other. Um, and we appreciate you being together today to worship the Lord. Please receive this benediction. Um, may we humble ourselves under the hand of the mighty God. May we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And in the due time, he will lift us up. May all praise and honor and glory be to God, who is able to keep us from stumbling and will present us spotless without blemish, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus.